How about some background on the flying man? Yeah, yeah come on. Sorry, boys, it's a trade secret. It's all part of the mystery. Uh, uh, why don't you just call him Rocket Boy? Nah, that's lousy. What about the Rocket Man? That's worse. What about yeah. Missile Man? Now nah, that stinks. Come on, Bigelow, give us a better name. Come on, yeah. Bigelow. Oh, come on. How about Rocketeer? Rocketeer. Yeah. Wow. Got to work. Yeah, so I'm Captain Kirk. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present the winners of the 74th annual Hunger Games. We are the men in black. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the future of war. Resistance is futile. Yes, it's Jedi's trick. Flows from the Force, but beware of the dark side. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Daniels from the Great Pacific Northwest, and you are listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. This is episode 719 for Sunday, February 24th, 2019. I'm back this week with another classic science fiction movie. Today's movie is The Rocketeer. If you like the Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers serials of the 1930s and 40s, you are going to love The Rocketeer. Before I get into today's podcast, I want to thank Rico for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoy it. With that said, I'm going to play the trailer to The Rocketeer. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. I'll be back after the trailer with some movie information, and then I'll get into the movie. To some, it was the fulfillment of a dream. To others, it was an instrument of destruction. A creation that could change the course of history. It was stolen from my factory. Where's the package? This is the FBI! What do we tell the president? Tell me exactly why this merchandise is so important to the feds. It's a rocket. A rocket? Ow. What? What's the matter? I don't know. There's something under the seat. Oh, my. What are we doing here? What are you supposed to do? Is it a bomb or something? No. I wouldn't touch that if I were you. How do I look? Like a hood ornament. Stand clear. What was that? Are you trying to 
trying to kill yourself? I like it. Uh-oh, we got company. You steer, I'll push. For what? I want that rocket, Eddie. Not next week, not tomorrow. Now. Keep your eyes open for this dame. Jenny's in trouble. They're working for a Nazi agent. With an army equipped with these, you could rule the world. Cliff! You touch one hair on her head, I swear I'll... <laughs> Shoot him! We've got the girl. The rocket will come to us. I love her, Peeve. Does she know that? She's gonna find out. Go get him, kid. The Rocketeer is a 1991 American superhero film directed by Joe Johnston and produced by Charles Gordon, Lawrence Gordon, and Lloyd Levine. The screenplay was written by Danny Bilson and Paul DeMio. The story was written by Danny Bilson, Paul DeMio, and William Deere. The Rocketeer is based on the graphic novel by Dave Stevens. It was released June 21, 1991, and has a running time of 108 minutes. And here's the cast, starting at the top. Bill Campbell as Cliff Secord. Jennifer Connelly as Jenny Blake. Alan Arkin as P.V. Peabody. Timothy Dalton as Neville Sinclair. Terry O'Quinn as Howard Hughes. Paul Sorvino as Eddie Valentine. Ed Lauder as FBI Agent Fitch. James Handy as FBI Agent Walensky. John Polito as Otis Bigelow. And Tiny Ron Taylor as Lothar. And that's all I have for movie information. Now let's get into today's movie. Today's movie takes place in 1938 Los Angeles. It's about a a pilot named Cliff Secord, and he finds an experimental rocket pack. And it's wanted by Howard Hughes, the FBI, and Nazi spies. So what I've done today is got together five or six clips, my favorite scenes in the movie, and I'm going to play them today for you. And then we're going to go, like normally, going to go to movie trivia and the Star Trek connection and then my comments about the movie. So I'm trying to use less clips because I really want you guys to go out and watch the movies because they're really good movies. Um, so my first clip that I'm going to play today is takes place in Howard Hughes' office. And he's on the phone with an FBI agent because his rocket pack has been stolen and they're telling him that they found it, but it's been totally destroyed. So here's my first clip. Well, yes, it could have been worse. Right. Was that Walensky? They chased it to an airstrip in the valley. There was a wreck on the runway. The X3 was destroyed. Well, better lost than in the wrong hands. How soon can you rebuild it? Rebuild it? Not a chance. My people in Washington will have something to say about that. Your people in Washington want to turn anything that flies into a weapon. Apparently someone else had the same idea. Sir, I'm afraid we must insist. I'll remind you boys that I don't work for the government. I cooperate at my discretion. Two of my best pilots were killed during the test phase. God knows how many more men would have died if it had flown. 
No, gentlemen. I'm sorry I ever dreamed the damn thing up. Sir, I wish you would reconsider. What do we tell the president? Tell him the dream is over. Tell him Howard Hughes said so. Okay, my next clip is of Cliff Secord and PVP Body. They're uh, in their hangar with their destroyed airplane, and they find the experimental rocket pack. So that's going to be my next clip. What's this 300 gallons here? We don't burn that much fuel in two years, Bigelow. You burned it up in two seconds when my fuel truck went up. The truck's on there, too. It's all I Hey, hey, I didn't blow up. Your truck, the guy in the car did. After bouncing off you. Pilots are responsible for a safe landing. You know that. Where are we going to get this kind of dough, Bigelow? We got to sell a GB for scrap. I'm sorry, fellas. I hate to kick you when you're down. But business is business. I'm out of pocket here. Of course, I, uh... Could always use the old clown act. We don't do the clown act no more. Peavy, Peavy, wait, it's, it's worth 15 bucks a shot. 10 bucks a shot, five bucks goes towards your bill. Think it over, boys. See it my way or see me in court. Uh, the clown suit is in the storeroom. First show's at nine, don't be late. Lousy nickel mercer. Clown act. Good thinking, Clifford. You just sent us back about four years. Plus which, Miss Mabel over here is a flying coffin. You said so yourself. Evie, she never let us down before. Besides, I'll go real easy on her. Number five, pissing this shot. Nothing left of her but spit and bailing wire. I could fly a shoebox if it had wings, Pete. Ow! What? What's the matter? I don't know. There's something under the seat. my duffel bag. What do you got in there? I don't know, but it's heavy. Here, Peef, clean that table off. All right. Open her up. piece of work, isn't it? Yeah. What do you suppose it is, a bomb or something? No, too complex to be a bomb. I don't see any moving parts. I wouldn't touch that if I were you. Okay. The next clip takes place at Neville Sinclair's house. He's, uh, Neville Sinclair is meeting with Eddie Valentine because Sinclair wants to know where's the rocket pack. So here's my next clip. What's going on, Sinclair? Lenny is dead. Wilma's all wrapped up like a mummy in County General. You didn't play straight with me. I'm sorry about your voice, Eddie. Truly. Now, what went wrong? What went wrong? It's the feds that went wrong. This was supposed to be a simple snatch and grab. What the hell is going on? I didn't say it'd be simple, Eddie. And snatch and grab's what you're supposed to be good at. It's what I pay you for. Now, where's the package? Nothing's gonna happen with me and my boys until you tell me exactly why this merchandise is so important to the feds. Send me a check. Let's get out of here, boys. 
It's a rocket. A rocket? <laughs> yeah. Like in the comic books. Now, what happened to it? I don't know. Wilma knows. He's in the hospital, surrounded by cops. Maybe in a couple of days we get to talk. I don't have a couple of days, Eddie. What room's Wilma in? <laughs> Mr. Movie Star. <laughs> He's going to walk into the hospital with a smile on his face and a handful of posies. He's going to charm the feds to death. <laughs> <laughs> That's not exactly what I had in mind. Who cares what you had in mind? <laughs> you don't need my services anymore. You can take it from here. And I'll tell you what, you pay me what you owe me because you're half a lunatic anyhow. <laughs> yes, shoot! I want that rocket, Eddie. Not next week, not tomorrow. Now. We have a deal. You bring me that rocket, and I'll double your price. You'll triple my price. So my next clip is set back at Howard Hughes's office. The FBI have finally caught up with Cliff and has have brought him to Howard Hughes's office because Howard Hughes wants to know where's the rocket pack. So here's my next clip. Where's my rocket pack, Secord? You gotta let me use it one more time. I'm tired of squared answer with you, kid. I can slap you with grand theft, treason, espionage, and that's just my short list. Willie, give me the cuffs. No, look, they got my girl. Ah, oh, God, Cliff, no. Yeah, they set up a rendezvous. They want to swap Jenny for the rocket. Look, kid, I understand how you feel, but you've got to let us handle this. I gotta go alone, or they're gonna kill her. I'll give you a rocket back. Tomorrow, I swear. Hey, this ain't negotiation. Those guys are playing for keeps. I can handle Valentine. The Valentine gang has only hired muscle. They're working for a Nazi agent. Someone we think is highly placed in Hollywood society. Someone our intrepid G-men have been unable to identify. It's Neville Sinclair. What? It's Neville Sinclair. Come on. Yeah, sure, it makes perfect sense. That's why he was bossing Eddie's men around at the South Seas Club. That's why he has Jenny. <laughs> nice try, kid. We're taking them downtown and we're locking them up. We'll take it from here, Mr. Hughes. Let's go, kid. My last clip today is set at the observatory where they're meeting up to exchange the rocket pack for Jenny. And this is probably the best scene in the movie because it's full of uh, Nazi commandos, uh, a Zeppelin. There's a big shootout. And, of course, the rocketeer is there. So here's my last clip for today. Jenny, you okay? She's fine. I wasn't talking to you. Take the rocket off. Carefully. First, you let her go. The rocket. Come on, kid, hand it over so we can all go home. 
What's it like working for a Nazi, Eddie? Huh? He pay you in dollars or Deutschmarks? What's he talking about? Oh, yeah, I got it straight from the feds, Eddie. Nazi spy ring, flying commandos, or works. <laughs> Kids have been flying with the ass too thin. Ask him about the secret room. Ask him about the Germans on the radio. Relax, Frankenstein. You ain't bulletproof. Talk fast, Sinclair. You tell him, Eddie. Shut up! Come on, Eddie. I'm paying you well. Does it matter who I work for? It matters to me. I may not make an honest buck, but I'm 100% American. And I don't work for no two-bit Nazi. Okay, so that's it for the audio clips today. So now let's get into the movie trivia. The character of Neville Sinclair was loosely modeled after the actor of Errol Flynn. Timothy Dalton does a great job as uh, Neville Sinclair, and he looks like uh, Errol Flynn, and he's really great as a villain. So I really enjoyed his performance today. Um, There's a fight scene on top of a Zeppelin, and Cliff Secord and Neville Sinclair are fighting. And Cliff says to Neville, where's your stuntman now, Sinclair? And then Neville replies, I do my own stunts. And this is a reference to Timothy Dalton's time as James Bond since he was known for being the only James Bond actor to perform most of his own stunts. I can believe that. I, you know, thinking about, I could see Sean Connery doing his stunts and Timothy Dalton, but not Roger Moore. Roger Moore's not doing any stunts. Matter of fact, he's the saint. He ain't James Bond. Um, in the original graphic novel, Cliff Secord's girlfriend, her name is Betty Page, not Jenny Blake. Um, the creator of the comic, Dave Stevens, he named the character after Betty Page, who is actually his real life friend, 1950s pinup girl, Betty Page. Uh, Joe Pesci turned down the role of Eddie Valentine. I'm glad he did. He's too short. He, he couldn't possibly pull it off. Um, Sherry Lynn Finn, Kelly Preston, Diane Lane, Elizabeth McGovern, and Penelope Ann Miller were all considered for the role of Jenny Blake. I don't think they would have fit the role. I think Jennifer Connelly was great. She looked like a young Elizabeth Taylor. I probably said that before. I'm going to say it again, but she's really beautiful and she was perfect for the part. Uh, Lloyd Bridges turned down the role of PV Peabody. I can't even imagine Lloyd Bridges playing PV PV Peabody because he's Commander Kane and that's too much of a stretch. Okay. Uh, Jeremy Irons and Charles Dance were considered for the role of Neville Sinclair. I can't even see that either. Jeremy Irons? No. Charles Dance? No. Timothy Dalton? Yes. He was perfect for the role. Uh, Michael Keaton, Alex Baldwin, Robin Williams, Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, Ron Perlman, and Tom Hanks. They were all considered to play Cliff Secord. I can't see any of them playing Cliff Secord. It's like, Ron Perlman? Not. Michael Keaton? No, none of these guys. I think Bill Campbell did a great job and was perfect for the role. In the opening sequence, when Cliff crashes his airplane on the runway, Alan Arkin was narrowly missed when a cable pulling the mock across the runway snapped and hit him in the back of his legs. He could have had his legs removed. That's crazy. And uh, that's it for movie trivia. Now it's time for the Star Trek Connection. Everybody knows I'm a big Star Trek fan, and I try to find a Star Trek connection in every movie or TV show I watch. 
the Rocketeer has six, count them, six Star Trek connections. The first Star Trek connection is Bill Campbell. He was Cliff Secord in today's movie. He was also Captain Thaddean Akuna in the second season episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, The Outrageous Akuna. The second Star Trek connection is Max Grodenchik. He was the getaway driver in today's movie. He was also Quark's brother Rom in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The third Star Trek connection is Terry O'Quinn. He played Howard Hughes in today's movie. He was also Admiral Eric Pressman in the seventh season episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, The Pegasus. The fourth Star Trek connection is Ed Lauder. He played FBI agent Fitch in today's movie. He was also Lieutenant Commander Albert in the fifth season episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, The First Duty. The fifth Star Trek connection is Paul Servino. He played Eddie Valentine in today's movie. He was also Worf's foster brother, Nikolai Rosenko, in the seventh season episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, Homeward. The sixth and last Star Trek connection is Tiny Ron Taylor. He played Lothor, Neville Sinclair's henchman in today's movie. He also played a Herogen in two episodes of Star Trek Voyager and servant to the former Grand Nagus Zek in seven episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And that's it for the Star Trek connection. Here are my comments about today's movie. I watched the 1999 DVD release from Walt Disney Home Video. The picture and sound quality are really good on this DVD. The only special feature is the theatrical trailer. That's it. I have to let you know up front that I love The Rocketeer. It's one of my guilty pleasures. It's right up there with Flash Gordon. I can watch this movie anytime. When I was in eighth grade, I had a language arts teacher named Mr. Russo. He was one of those cool young teachers, you know, like Mr. Carter and Welcome Back, Carter. If we did all our work during the week on Fridays, he would show the class serials from the 1930s and 40s. So we would watch Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers and Commander Cody. From that point on, I was hooked on serials. The Rocketeer definitely has that 1930s, 40s serial vibe. I love the setting of this movie. It's set in pre-World War II Los Angeles. That's a perfect time for a story because the world is changing. You had the rise of Imperial Japan and the rise of the Nazis, and they were trying to take over the world. And that's where this takes place at that period of time. And the story is great. You've got a heroic pilot. You've got his beautiful girlfriend who, who looks like Elizabeth Taylor. I know I said that twice, probably said it three times. Uh, you've got a top secret rocket pack. You've got a matinee idol who's really a Nazi spy. You got a Zeppelin filled with German commandos. What else do you need? This is a great movie. Uh, I think the cast does a great job. I think Bill Campbell is perfect as Cliff Secord. I, I can't even see Robin Williams playing that part. I don't even know why they even offered him that. That's crazy. Uh, Jennifer Connelly, she was great as Cliff's girlfriend, Jenny Blake. Like I said, she's beautiful. She looks like Elizabeth Taylor to me. Uh, Alan Arkin was great as the old man, the wise old man, PB. I can't even see Lloyd Bridges in that role. I just, Alan, was, Alan Arkin was perfect for it. Uh, Terry Quinn was great as Howard Hughes. In my opinion, he does the best Howard Hughes. 
Uh, Timothy Dalton steals every scene he's in. He does a great Arrow uh, Flynn impersonation. Uh, Paul Savino was great as the all-American gangster Eddie Valentine. And Tiny Ron was great as Lothor. A lot of, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but he's modeled after a, a, a character from the 1930s and 40s called Rondo Hatton. And he looked, they made him up to look like Rondo Hatton. And it's really, really cool. I enjoyed that part. Uh, the special effects in this movie were excellent. I've seen this movie 20, 30 times. And all this time, I thought it was all CG. There's, there's not that much CG in this movie. It's all practical effects. The rocket man flying through the sky, that's stop motion animation. They have a little man and they just move him a little bit like Ray Harryhausen. They use that to do the rock, the flying scenes, which is very, very cool. Cause I always thought it was CG. Anyway, it looked great. Um, the Rocketeer outfit. I loved it. I mean, I love the, the red leather jacket and the tan pants and the riding boots. And then the art deco helmet and the rocket pack that looks so cool. I mean, if I was a kid and I was going to go trick or treating, I'd go as the Rocketeer. But there's one thing that's done really well. That's kind of scary in the movie is the Nazi propaganda cartoon featuring flying Nazis with rocket packs. That was scary because if you've ever watched propaganda move, uh, films from the 1930s and 40s, that's what they looked like. And that was like, ooh, wow. Just can you imagine if Nazis did have rocket packs? We would live in a totally different world if they had that kind of technology. Um, the score. The score was great. I really enjoyed the music in this movie. Um, it was written and composed by James Horner. And if you listen closely... You can hear cues from some of the other music he's composed for other music, for other movies. I mean, like uh, if you listen closely, you can hear cues from The Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, um, Battle Beyond the Stars. I mean, he reuses it. You know, it's his stuff. He can reuse it, but it's a really good score. And I was on the Internet the other day and I found a clip on YouTube where he's talking about composing this movie. So I'm going to play that for you and then I'll be back with my closing comments. The Rocketeer is a kind of a story that needs a very straight ahead, traditional, go get em type score. And if I took really many chances in any direction, I'd be doing a disservice to the film. That's, a, that's the kind of a project that you have to be very careful that you, you really get just right, because it needs a certain approach. Joe Johnston, the director, he'd asked me to do the music a year and a half before the into production. I mean, because we're friends and I've known him forever. He was a special effects wizard for George Lucas right from the days when I first got started. He was editing. I knew the date I had to deliver my music, but I couldn't write anything because the movie was in shreds. It was editing and editing and previewing and editing and previewing. And finally, I started to write, I think about two and a half weeks before I had to deliver all the music. And there was almost 90, 100 minutes of music in that film. Uh, it's the kind of film it is. And, but I only had about two and a half weeks total uh, to write the music. And even while I was writing it, they made, they made picture changes because they would preview it or the studio would want to preview it for a different type of audience, a younger audience or an older audience, and they'd want to make picture changes to affect that audience. We're losing them. 
not look. Temporary music is vital when you play it for a studio because you're not going to get a bunch of executives sitting there in the dark watching a long movie with no music and just dialogue. You have to help the emotions of the film with music. In the case of Rocketeer, there was no music at the beginning. They put in temp music, and the studio thought the sequence was too long. And they thought the sequences were too long in a bunch of places in the film. And they sort of lost track that it was scored. And they lost confidence in the fact that it would eventually be scored. And they tend to cut the movie as though it had no music in it at all, which is a disaster because when you add the music, certain scenes that seem like they were playing okay suddenly go by way too fast because the music is like jet fuel. And as soon as you add it, it's like, boom, and the sequence is gone. And I remember having quite a few discussions with um, various people at the studio, as well as the director, begging them to just hold off editing that sequence shorter until I got done with it. Now, if they still thought it was too long, they could manicure it to any length they liked. But let me have a go. Um, and if they then thought it was too long, fine. Let me have a crack at it first. And it turned out that in most cases, once it was fully scored, and I had my chance at it, that the scene went in unchanged um, or was reconstituted back to a longer length from the preview length, which was shorter. And that's a good example, the beginning of Rocketeer, where they did have it manicured down to some short length, which was crazy. It didn't do anything for the film, but it just helped them through the preview, and then they made it longer once the music got in. Overall, The Rocketeer is a great movie, and I would recommend it to all science fiction fans. You can pick this up on Amazon for seven or eight bucks. It's not expensive. If you haven't seen it, please check it out. It's a fun movie. You will not be disappointed. On a scale from one to ten, I'm going to give The Rocketeer a solid nine. And those are my comments about The Rocketeer. That's it for today's podcast. Before I end this week's podcast, I want to thank Rico again for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoyed it. Rico will be back on the podcast next week. I'll end today's podcast with the end credit music from The Rocketeer. I'll be back soon with another classic science fiction movie. Until then, everyone take care. This is M5, signing off.